turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to look at verses 10 through 16 today. And uh, just as you're turning there, um, if you were here last week, we talked on singleness in Christ. Um, and in that, the, the title of the sermon was uh, One Single-Minded Determination. And that wasn't the title because we were talking about singleness. Um, that's also the title this week, part two, One Single-Minded Determination. And the reason for that is, is because as people who are in Christ, whether we are single or married, we ought to have together one single-minded determination. And our determination is not if we are single to get married and if we are married to stay married or if our spouse Our determination is the glory of God. No matter our circumstances, our determination, if we are in Christ, must be, ought to be, the glory of God. That is what we live for. If we're in Christ, we are different. We're set apart. We seek different things. We find our happiness in different things. Ultimately, we seek the glory of God, not the glory of us. And that affects, if that's our determination, is to seek the glory of God in all things, then that affects singleness. If we're single, that affects the way that we think as single people. And if we are married, that affects marriage. It affects the way we treat marriage, the way we look at marriage, the way we we, um, uh, act and live inside of marriage. Because our determination is not the marriage. Our determination is not singleness or to get married. Our determination is God and his glory in all things. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about specifically as it pertains to marriage. And I want to say if you are a single person, this absolutely matters this morning. Okay, so if you come and you're you're single, you're not married and you hear uh, they're talking about marriage. Um, and divorce, then uh, I don't have to really pay attention. That's not true, okay? For multiple reasons, that's not true. As a person who's living for the glory of God, as we talked about last week, you want to be a person who is single in Christ, who if God does lead them at some point to get married, has a right mindset about marriage. So you're looking not just for a person to fill a home with and meet certain requirements that you have. You're looking for a person in Christ, who's going to help you, assist you, glorify God together better than you would have apart. Okay, that's your determination. And so you want to listen and learn as we talk about marriage and divorce. But secondly is Ephesians 4 tells us that we are the body of Christ and that we're being built up together in Christ. And so as we do that, it it gives us a picture of each part uh, building each other up in love and speaking the truth in love. And so just like last week, it's important for those who are married to key in to what does the Bible say about biblical singleness? And how can I pray for those who are single? How can I love? How can I speak the truth in love to those who are single? Likewise, if you're single and we're talking about marriage, then you key into, hey, we're the body of Christ. We're family. And so how do I pray for those who are married? How do I speak truth in love to those who are married so that we can be better the body of Christ and function better as the body of Christ? Okay, so let's do this. Let's do uh, let's read first Corinthians seven ten through 16. Let's stand together as I read. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, 
But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. We praise you. You've given us and shown us your grace even by giving us your word. And so we're so grateful, Lord. We're so thankful that you have given it to us. We want to stand before you through it, trembling at your word, God. We want to obey you. We want to glorify you. And so we don't want to count your word as a little thing. We want to count it as a great thing because it is, God. It's your word spoken to us. And so, God, help us this morning. Speak to us through it, Father. Change us where we need to change. God, let us be people who live for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Here's what I'm I'm wanting to do. Um, Three points that I want to cover from the passage and then uh, some potential questions, concerns that may come up. Just like last week with with Sermon on Biblical Singleness, this week um, some possible questions, concerns that may come up as we talk about marriage and divorce. Just like I said last week, okay, uh, I have three questions, concerns that came up. You may have 10, 15, 20, 30 questions that come up as it pertains to marriage and divorce. If you have questions that I don't ask or deal with, write them down on the back of the Connect card, put it in the offering basket as it goes by after the the message during the song, and then I will do my best to cover those in the coming weeks as we talk more about this coming up, okay? Um, If you have 30 questions, don't write all 30 questions, just... um, but if you need to, okay, you understand. So here's the three points that I want to cover. Uh, number one, is if we're going to be people who glorify God, whether uh, in, in our marriages, one is this, glorify God by believing that all Scripture is inspired by God. Two, glorify God by seeing marriage as a proclamation of the gospel. And three, glorify God by hoping in Him for things out of your control. First is this, glorify God by believing that all Scripture is inspired by God. Now, why is this a part of three points on the message that has to do with marriage and divorce? Well, if you look at the passage in verses 10 and 12, there's a unique parenthetical statement that's made in both of those, okay? In, in verse 10, Paul writing says, To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. And then in verse 12, he says, to the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. Now, we are a people who believe that all scripture is inspired by God. So what in the world is Paul meaning when he says in verse 12, I'm writing this to you, me, not the Lord. What's the point of that? Is it, is it Paul actually saying in that 
verse that, look, verses 10 and 11, they're from the Lord. They're inspired. God is speaking those through me. But these verses 12 through 16, this is my opinion. This is just what I'm giving to the matter. And and it's not from God, but it's good opinion. Is that what he's saying? And and it's important for us to, to, to know what is happening here because we believe that 2 Timothy 3.16 is true. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So it's important as we come to a, a passage on marriage and divorce, we get to this and Paul says in the midst of it, I'm writing this to you, it's for me, not the Lord. We kind of clue in and, 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 and the question comes up is, then do, do I not have to pay attention to this as much? Or, or does this not matter for me? Or am, do I not have to apply this? What's this mean? Because I thought all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. So maybe, is this not scripture? Maybe, maybe 2 Timothy 3.16 is true. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. But what Paul's saying is this isn't scripture. It's just added to it and it's not scripture. Well, that's not true either. Because we have in First Peter or in Second Peter, chapter three, Peter writing, and he says, starting with verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, the Apostle Paul, okay, who wrote First Corinthians also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. So Peter's talking about, writing about Paul and all of Paul's letters, okay? And he says, these are some things, there are, excuse me, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So the Holy Spirit, breathing through Peter, assures us all of Paul's writings, all of Paul's letters that we have in the Bible are inspired, breathed out by God. So what in the world is Paul meaning when he says to the married I give this charge not I but the Lord to the rest I say I not the Lord. What does he mean? What's this okay? Verses 10 and 11 to the married I give this charge not I but the Lord. Who's the Lord that he's talking about? Say it out Sunday school. This is this is the confident answer Sunday school. Jesus okay that's I mean it's been a while since Sunday school but remember that old habit Jesus right you know that that's going to be the answer right so who he's talking about when he says Lord is Jesus and and what he means is simply this when Jesus was on the earth he taught us what I'm telling you in verses 10 and 11. When Jesus was on the earth, he did not speak about the things that I'm telling you in verses 12 through 16. But God is now addressing those things through the apostle Paul. So Jesus didn't speak on the things when he was on earth from 12 to 16. But he did speak on the things in verses 10 and 11. That's what Paul means when he says this. I not the Lord in verses 12 through 16 and the Lord, not I. Okay. So it's not an inspiration or a, um, uh, authority of scripture thing. It's absolutely just Paul reminding them, look, this is what Jesus spoke when he was here. What we, he's writing, what we will have in the gospels, what we look back and see we do have in the gospels. 
But verses 12 through 16, this is what the Lord is speaking through him as new news information for them. And so when we come to things like this as people who are determined to glorify God, we do that by believing that all scripture is inspired. And we don't, we don't come to a place, we, we ask questions when these come, this comes up. We don't come to something like this in the Bible and just jump to the conclusion, well, there's no answer for this. You know, I, I guess I was wrong and, and so-and-so was right and the scriptures are fallible. And No, 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 no. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness. Just take some effort and time and look and study and ask questions and, and things like this. Because if we want to glorify God, then we come believing all scripture is inspired by God. Number two, glorify God by seeing marriage as a proclamation of the gospel. Paul says in verses 10 and 11 to the married, I give this charge, not I but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So Paul says, wives should not separate from their husbands. Husbands should not divorce their wives. Now, in Jewish culture, which this is not, only half of that would have been there. It would have just only been husbands don't divorce your wives. Wives were not allowed to separate from their husbands. But here in this Roman culture, and certainly in our culture, that is more prominent. Okay, And so Paul addresses both. Wives, don't separate from your husbands. Husbands, don't divorce your wives. And he means the same thing in both. He means divorce. He uses a different word with the wives where he says separate, but he means divorce in both. We know that for the wives because in the parentheses of verse 11, but if she does, she should remain unmarried. Okay, so unmarried means there was a divorce that happened. So in both cases, it's a divorce issue. All right, so wives don't separate. Husbands don't divorce your wives. Here's the question. Why? Why not separate? Why not get divorced? If you're married, you may have found out by now, and I'm assuming you've been married for a week, okay? If you've been married for a week, you probably found out by now, not always easy to live in the same house as someone else. People have problems, right? And we don't think we do, but everybody else has got major problems. And the Lord sovereignly put the one with the most problems in the same bed as me. Right? Not my case, okay? My wife is a delight, all right? I assure you. But I'm just, I'm just imagining what some of you are thinking, okay? I'm just helping you finish this out, all right? Um, I do mean that. My wife is a delight. If you don't know my wife, that's a shame. Um, I totally lost my train of thought, okay? So, so why not? Why not separate? Why not divorce? Why not separate? If, if this, these issues happen, what is the deal? Why is it not allowed? Why is it not permissible? Well, we, we can take our cue from Paul and go to what did Jesus teach about divorce? Matthew 19. Let's start there, okay? Matthew 19. This is one of the instances where Jesus uh, speaks about divorce. Start with verse 3. In 
The Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh? So they're no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to test him and trap him. And they ask him, is it okay to divorce your wife for any reason, for any cause? Okay, this is what is, is happening and is popular uh, even among the Jewish people. The husbands are, are, are writing certificates of divorce for their wives for just because. Just too hard to get along. Um, not who I thought I was going to marry. Whatever it is. And so here you go. Have a good day. And, and, and so they come and try to test him in that and trick him. And Jesus' response is, he says, do you not know, do you not remember that God made the two. He took two people and he made those two people one flesh. Now what that means is this, okay? So you go to a wedding and you see a bride and a groom and they're making vows, right? They're making covenant with each other. Well, what that means, what Jesus is saying, and what God had already said from the very beginning is this. When those two people are making covenant with each other, making vows to each other, It's not the bride, and it's not the groom, and it's not the pastor, and it's not any of the parents that are doing the primary work in that circumstance. It's God. God is doing a supernatural work in that circumstance, through that circumstance, where he's taking two people who are making covenant with each other, and he's making them one flesh. And so, yes, we talked about a few weeks ago in chapter uh, 7, 1 through 5, there is a, or in, in chapter 6, uh, 12 through the end, that there is a, a flesh picture that's, that's there. But this is a spiritual thing, too, where God literally makes two people one flesh. And so Jesus says, don't undo what God has done. What God has joined together, let not man separate. God did that. So don't try to intervene and undo what God beautifully and gloriously did. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that God can take two people through covenant and put them together as one. So don't intervene and try to unmiracle what God has miracled. Don't do that. At this point, the Pharisees speak up again and they, they, they say to him, then how come Moses commanded one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Again, they're trying to test Jesus. And what does Jesus say to them because of your hardness of heart Moses allowed you to divorce your wives see the Pharisees are looking for an excuse to get a divorce and they're looking for a reason to trap Jesus Jesus says no 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 it's because of your wickedness 
It's because of the hardness of your hearts. And just so that we are clear in the Old Testament, when God permitted a certificate of divorce to take place, he wasn't permitting divorce. He was protecting the wife who was being left abandoned by the husband. Okay, so he's not saying it's okay for you to go get divorced. He makes it crystal clear in Malachi when he yells, I hate divorce. Okay, so just so we know, he's not. He's not patting them on the back and say, go on your way and have a happy divorce. He's protecting the wife in that in the Old Testament. And Jesus clearly says to the Pharisees, you're wicked people. That's why God permitted it. It's because of the hardness of your hardness of heart that God permitted that. But he makes it very clear after that in verse 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So it's not good. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't get divorced. Don't separate. Don't divorce. That's what he's saying. Now, why again? Why is it that Jesus says that? Why is it that Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 says that? The reason is this, or a reason is this, is because marriage is purposeful. From the very beginning, it has had a purpose. It's purposeful. God took two people and put them together. God thought of the idea. He creates Adam. He looks at Adam. He knew he was going to do this already. He says it's not good for him to be alone. I'll create a helper for him. He creates Eve. And the two of them he brings together. He says, and so uh, he will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. And there's the first marriage. And God did that on purpose from the very beginning. And he did it with a purpose from the very beginning. Paul tells us in Ephesians, he he shines a light and gives us a clearer picture of what that purpose is. So go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to read from verses 22 through the end of the chapter, focus in on mainly just a couple verses towards the end. Ephesians 5, starting with 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, in the midst of all of this, okay, wives, 
do this. Husbands, do this. We get to verse 31, and Paul goes all the way back to the garden, to the first marriage that we just talked about, Adam, Eve. God creates both, brings them together. Here's the first marriage. There'll be one flesh. That's what he goes back to. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Paul goes back to the garden and says, after that, this mystery that God did in the garden is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he goes all the way back to the garden, and he says from the very beginning, from when God created Adam and Eve and brought them together, made them the first marriage, husband and wife, God had a purpose in that. And that purpose is profound because of this. Marriage is a display of Christ and the church. That's the second thing. The second point is glorify God by seeing marriage as a proclamation of the gospel. That's what Paul is saying here in this. Marriage proclaims and displays the gospel. It's a mystery and it's profound and it refers to Christ and the church. And so from the very beginning of that section, when he says wives submit to your own husbands, he's not saying wives, you're not equal to your husbands. He's saying wives, you have a purpose in marriage. And just as, because I know some of you wives, I know you come to this and you read it and there's struggle. I know because I've heard their struggle. Okay. Some, some have come and said, I struggle with this. Some have come and said, I hate this, right? But here's the deal. Jesus is not saying you're unequal in the same way that Jesus doesn't say he's unequal to the Father. God the Father and God the Son are completely equal, both being God, but Jesus the Son willingly submits to the Father for the glory of God. And likewise, in this picture of Christ and the church, Paul says you have the opportunity of glorifying God and displaying him as you willingly, just as Jesus submits to the Father, as you willingly submit to the husband. Husbands, you are called to be a display of Christ in marriage. You are called to be what Christ is in this relationship because here's the deal. Here's what Paul's saying. Marriage has a purpose from the very beginning. From the very beginning, God made and purposed marriage to display one thing, the unbreakable covenant between Christ and his people. That's what marriage displays. And so, husbands, you're called to be Christ in that display. You're called to display Christ in this unbreakable covenant. Wives, you're called to display the church in this unbreakable covenant. And it should be joyful and it should be about Christ and about the church, not about you. That's the purpose. That's why wives should submit to their husbands. That's why husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, you do not get off here. You do not lean forward at verses 22 through 24. And nod and amen in your hearts as you hear what the wives are called to. Husbands, you are called to display Christ. Who laid down his life for his bride. Died a wretched death for his bride. Gave everything for his bride. Served 
his bride, loved his bride, cleansed his bride. That's what you're called to, men. That's what you're called to, husbands. And so as it pertains to glorifying God by seeing marriage as a proclamation of the gospel, husbands, you think this. You don't go in thinking divorce. You don't think about that. You think this. Christ will never, 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 never divorce his bride. He cannot divorce his bride. He is a faithful husband to the end. And so as a display of Christ and a means of proclaiming the gospel, you should not divorce your wife. Rather, you should consider Christ who loved and gave himself literally for his bride. I mean, if you just flip two pages or one page over to Philippians chapter 2, verse uh, 4 and 5, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in him, form, found, found in human form, there we go, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So husbands, you don't come into marriage thinking she has to submit to me that means i have rule and authority you go in thinking christ 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 no matter what she does i will lay down my life for the bride just as christ did for me because i'm called to display that in my home and i'm called to display that to the world You think christ who loved and gave himself up for his bride you think christ who bore the sins of his bride He did not and does not hold our sins over our heads. He took our sins upon himself. And so husbands, as it pertains to marriage, you are married to a sinner. And she is married to a horrible sinner. And you don't look in marriage and think, I just can't deal with this. I can't deal with the sins of my wife. She bugs me. She bothers me. This, 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 this. No, 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 no. You're Christ. And no matter what she does, what she says, where she goes, whatever, I will bear. I will suffer for the sins of my bride, just as Christ suffered and bore the sins of me. That's the picture of Christ. And therefore, husbands, when you're called to display Christ, that's what you're called to display. You think Christ, you consider Christ who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Your concern, husbands, is that you, you display Christ. Wives, you don't think divorce. You don't think I'm going to separate from him. You think the church cannot separate herself from Christ. As a display of the church and a means of proclaiming the gospel, you should not separate from your husband. Rather, think of Christ, not thinking divorce, thinking Christ. Christ is glorious. He is to be desired and to model and display that as a wife who models and displays the church. Then the wife should desire the husband, honor the husband and submit to the husband. Titus 2 gives such a wonderful picture. Titus 2 
verses 4 and 5, you have this passage where uh, older women are being encouraged to train up younger women. In verses 4 and 5, it says, And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now here, I said earlier, okay, that at the end of this, I was going to bring up some questions and possible concerns, okay, at the end. Except for this one, okay? I have one that I'm going to put in here because we need to address it in the midst of this. Because some of you wives may say, I can read your minds, my husband is not as worthy as Christ of honor and submission and desire. And to that, I will tell you, you're absolutely right. No matter what he does, No matter who he is, no matter what he ever does, he will never be worthy of that. But Christ is. And it's about Christ, not your husband. In Ephesians 5, you're called to submit to your husband as to the Lord. To display the church, not you. To display Christ in the church, not your husband and you. And so wives submit to their husbands as to the Lord because it's not about you and it's not about your husband. It's about glorifying God and displaying the church in marriage, not just in your home, but to the world. So what about marriage to an unbeliever? Paul addresses that in 1 Corinthians 7. As we move further in the passage, starting with verse 12, it says, To the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy And here's the picture, okay? And you can imagine in that culture how often this probably happened as the church is beginning and exploding. And so you have two people who are unbelievers. They don't even know the gospel. And the gospel penetrates this home. And one, either the husband or the wife, gives their life, surrenders to Christ to follow Christ, give him everything and live for his glory. And the other does not. What do you do in that circumstance? So the question that's coming up is, and probably what Paul has been asked is, do I leave him? Do I leave her? I've given my life to Christ now, and I want to honor Christ. I want to live for God and, and, and my spouse. He, he didn't get it, or she didn't get it, and, and she didn't believe, or he didn't believe, and now there's conflict, and, and I just want to live for the Lord, so should I separate myself because I don't want to be around that influence? What do I do? And Paul addresses that. If the unbelieving spouse is willing, consents, then you stay, you stay, you stay, you stay. And 1 Peter 3 gives such a wonderful picture of this for wives. Starting with verse 1, Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, can we just say, as we're kind of going through this, this is really tough stuff. 
Isn't that just something we just kind of throw out there and then wave like a nice little hand over and go in peace and then everything's happy and it's so easy to live as a believer with an unbeliever in the same home and things are going to be like you probably will skip together today and it's just going to be, you're going to agree on everything. It's not easy, it's difficult. And I certainly don't want to just throw this out there as like if this isn't a difficult trial kind of a situation. But there's hope. Because Peter, who wrote this to wives who were married to unbelievers, wrote this entire letter to people who were under persecution, who were in the midst of trial, and who he calls them in the midst of those trials, have the mind of Christ, aim to arm yourselves in the, with the same way of thinking that Christ had who suffered in the flesh. That's what chapter 4 verse 1 says. Rejoice insofar as you suffer for Christ's sake. So it's not just this kind of band-aid that he's putting. No, it's, it's hope in the gospel. And what he's saying is, wives, if you're married to an unbeliever, then you be what God has called you to be in marriage. Husbands, if you're married to an unbeliever, you be what God has called you to be in marriage. You display Christ to your unbelieving wife. Wives, you display what the relationship between the church and Christ is like but to your unbelieving husband. Be faithful to God in the midst of it and see the value and the opportunity in staying there if they are willing. See the hope in staying there. In fact, verse 14 says, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. This is interesting verse. Paul's not saying in 1 Corinthians 7, 14 that that they are saved or that that there's an absolute promise of future salvation for the unbelieving people in a home with believing people. He's not saying that. We know that he's not saying they're saved because in verse 16 he says, wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Or husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? So he's not saying that they're saved and forgiven of their sins. What he's talking about is influence. It means that they're set apart by the influence of the believing spouse. And so just think through this, okay? Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 says that if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, that he supernaturally works in you as a follower of Jesus, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in in chapter 1, 3, that you've... um, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, and you have supernatural love, joy, peace, patience, kindness working through you. That's going to have an impact. That's going to influence the people in your home, and the unbelievers in your home are going to be blessed by those things. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 14. So glorify God, glorify God by seeing marriage as what it is, a proclamation of the gospel. And third, glorify God by hoping in him for things out of your control. Look what he says right after verse 14, the hope, with verses 15 and 16. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? Seek to display the gospel. Seek 
to display the gospel. As a wife who's married to an unbeliever, seek to display the gospel. As a, as a husband married to an unbeliever, seek to display the gospel. But also seek peace. Romans 12, Paul writes in Romans 12, verse um, 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Seek peace. That doesn't mean you don't proclaim the gospel. It doesn't mean you don't glorify God. It doesn't mean you, you don't rejoice in God in the home, but seek peace. And the point of that in verses 15 and 16 is, this, is in a situation like that, where you are seeking to glorify God, but the unbelieving spouse is just like, I'm not staying with you. I don't believe what you believe. I'm not going to hear it anymore. I'm not going to do this. I'm leaving then what Paul says is, let them go. It doesn't mean don't love them. It doesn't mean, it just means, let, don't fight. Don't stand in front of them with a bat saying, you're not leaving this house. Let there be peace. You can't keep them there. As an unbeliever, you're not going to be able to keep them there. Let them go. Seek to display the gospel, but seek it peacefully. And I think, like the exception in Matthew 19, where Jesus says, except for sexual immorality, it seems that there is freedom that's given in verse 15, because he says, in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Now, Paul uses that same expression in Romans 7 when he's talking about marriage to a person who dies. And he says, you're no longer under bondage. You're not enslaved anymore. You're free. And they're free to remarry. That doesn't mean we use that as an excuse. And we certainly don't misread this. This is speaking, writing to the innocent party. And we don't use it as an excuse, which happens so often. After the fact, divorce takes place and then a believing uh, person in the midst of a divorce starts thinking, I remember what Paul said, maybe he wasn't a Christian. Maybe, how could he be a Christian because of the things he said and the things he did? And they start applying this verse to situations it doesn't apply to. This is a verse where there are two people in a home. One comes to know Christ, the other does not. The one who comes to know Christ is seeking to display the gospel in the home, seeking to love and honor. And if they're a wife, to seek to honor and submit and love their spouse in the midst of it, just as 1 Peter 3 lays out, and that the unbeliever will not stay. And when that happens, hope in God. Glorify God by hoping in Him for things out of your control. That's what Paul's saying here. It's out of your control. If you have saw it and there's no possibility of restoration, then just hope in God. Now, I love this because in, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, you have verse 16, wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Husband, how do you know whether you'll save your wife? And it's kind of to a, a negative bent. Like how do you, if you would have, if he would have stayed, how do you know that you would have saved him? Saved him. But in First Peter, it's towards the positive. Live with them in such a way that through you, God might save them. And so you have it coming from two different directions. And I think that's on purpose so that we, as prideful people, don't think it's on me. Hope in God, not in yourself, for the salvation of other people. Just as Peter's saying God might use you through that, Paul's saying maybe he wouldn't have used you through that. How do you know? 
but hope in God, hope in him who's able to comfort and who's able to help, not in yourself in those circumstances. Glorify him by hoping in him for things out of your control. And so let me, let me do this. Let me finish by covering these three questions that come up as we talk about marriage and divorce. The first one is this. What if he or she, let me say this first, okay? We have to be so, so careful as we go into this. As a follower of Jesus who understands the purpose of marriage, which is to display the unbreakable covenant between Christ and his people, we should walk so carefully through these areas. I don't believe that a follower of Jesus Christ who understands what the display of marriage is and should be should ever desire for divorce. Ever. Not at any point in the process. We don't ever get to the point where it's like, okay, I'm done. I'm called to display an unbreakable covenant. And so we never desire it. We never want that. We never desire that. And so we must walk carefully through these things, even where it appears that Scripture gives us an an, an out or an excuse for divorce. And just to be clear, when, when, when Jesus in Matthew 19 talks about except for sexual immorality, he does not command divorce in those circumstances. And so we should not seek it. He gives it as permission, but not as a command. And husbands, 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 you're Christ in the marriage. We have committed adultery on Jesus every day of our lives, and he has not divorced us. So to display him in the marriage, husbands, think Christ. Think Christ. Here are the questions. What if he or she gets remarried? What if we divorce and the other spouse gets remarried? Am I then forced to stay unmarried? Because verse 11 says, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Let me say, first of all, verse 11 is speaking to the offender, okay? The one who initiated the divorce. But let me also say that Clearly, Paul is saying through this entire chapter, it is better to remain unmarried. We're not reading. We're not digging. We're not trying to kind of root something up in that. It is clear. I mean, any person reads through chapter 7, you don't have to dig or anything to see. Paul's obviously saying it's better to remain unmarried, okay? For the glory of God, to be anxious about Christ and not anxious about the things of the, of the, of the world. However, I don't think in such circumstances that it is required. He's not requiring when the innocent party is left and then the other remarries. But it is better, okay? It is better. The glory of God is better. But I don't think it's required for two reasons. Number one, the covenant of marriage has been broken and restoration is impossible. Deuteronomy 24 says, if two people are married, you write a certificate of divorce, you send her away, you get married to someone else, you don't like that one either and divorce them, you cannot get remarried to the first again, that's an abomination. Okay? So restoration at that point is is not possible. And the person, the offending person who has caused the divorce and gotten remarried has broken covenant, not with the other person, but with God. 
And secondly is, they're committing adultery by remarrying. Jesus says that clearly, thereby, I think, permitting the other to remarry. Now, let me say this, okay? Get biblical counsel. Surround yourselves in a circumstance like that with people who love the Bible more than they love you. Because the tendency is we want to surround ourselves with people who love us more than anything else. And they'll pat us on the back and they'll say, yes, you should do. This is a terrible circumstance. How could this happen to you? You're such a lovely, wonderful person. God created you first and best. And that's the kind of people we want to surround ourselves with. Surround yourself with people who love the Bible more than they love you and will speak truth and hard things into your life. Okay? And here's why, because this is a very uncommon circumstance where the innocent party is truly innocent, where they have sought to display the gospel, sought restoration, and sought the glory of God. So we walk carefully in that. Again, let me say, Jesus is clear, the deserter, the one who deserts the spouse, the one who initiates, the one who causes, is still bound by the marriage covenant and is always adultery for them to remarry. Second, what if I was divorced before I was saved? Um, I'm not going to say much on this. Let me just say this. I don't think it's as easy as saying all is forgiven, all is well. And that's kind of what is said most of the time. Well, it's under the blood. Do whatever you want to do. I don't think it's as easy that because God instituted marriage for the same purpose for everyone on the planet. Whether they believe in him or not, it's the same purpose across the planet. And it's impossible for you, if you weren't saved when you got a divorce, it's impossible for you to have honored and glorified God in the marriage. You didn't seek the glory of God. You didn't seek to be a husband who, who, who reflected Christ. You didn't seek to be a wife. And so we have to be very, very, very careful and cautious. And I would even use the word tremble. Walk carefully, seek to glorify God, and I think seek restoration through the gospel first. And third, what if I have already remarried unbiblically? This is one that comes up each time that we address marriage and divorce. First of all, if you have already remarried unbiblically, let me first say don't divorce, don't get divorced. Thank God, thank God for Jesus. He did bear your sins. He is forgiving. He did die for the sins in your past and in your present and in your future. And if you're in Christ, you're clean. There are things in my life that I wish so much I never would have done. As a believer, Things that I struggled with, things that, that I was a part of, things I wish so much that I had never done, but I did them. And I cannot go back and erase them. I can't, I can't. I can trust God that he has forgiven me, and I can seek to glorify him now where I'm at in my life. So if you have been remarried unbiblically, then seek to glorify God as a husband who displays Christ. Seek to glorify God as a wife who displays the church. Seek now to glorify him in ways that you didn't before.
So let me close with this. You may, you may hear um, these messages. You may hear the message on singleness. You may hear the message on divorce. You may think, too depressing. Um, and, and the question that often comes up is, doesn't God want me to be happy? I'm a single person. Doesn't God want me to be happy? I'm a person who was divorced. Doesn't God want me to be happy? He doesn't want me because of my circumstances and I was the one that caused it. He doesn't want me to get remarried. Doesn't he want me to be happy? Let me answer you this. Yes. A million times over, yes. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to be happy. But he knows your happiness is contingent on unhappy things. He wants you to be happy in Him, not in your circumstances. He wants your joy to be Him, not marriage or singleness or or a good job or anything else. He wants Him to be the source of your happiness. In 1 Peter, let me just close reading this. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9, through 9, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. In verse 6, Paul says, In this, the gospel you rejoice, not your circumstances, the gospel you rejoice, though you face trials. And in verse 8, he says, Believing results in joy. And so let's be people who believe God, who love God, who see marriage as what it is purposed to be, who hope in God in circumstances that we have no control over, and who live completely determined to glorify him no matter what our circumstances are. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you that no matter where we are at or what we have done, you did all. Christ, you are all. You died so that our sins could be forgiven. You bore the wrath of God for our sins. And so no matter where we're at or what we have done, you just say, come and believe and be credited with perfect righteousness. And so I pray, God, for every one of us here, whether we're single or married, God, that we would seek to have one purpose in our life, and that be the glory of God. We do not know what is ahead for us except heaven. We don't know what's between here and there. We don't know what trials are going to come. We don't know what difficulties are going to come. We don't know if it's going to be in singleness. We don't know if it's going to be as a widow or a widower, or we don't know if it's going to be married. We just know that you have promised that you are the happiness and the joy in all of those circumstances. And so God, help us to be people who truly believe, who set our hopes and our affections in you and on you rather than on our circumstances. God, please help. 
I know, I know that in this body there have to be people who are struggling with this. There have to be people who are struggling with joy in you and, 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 and struggling more with bitterness against you because of their circumstances. God, help, I pray. Would you be glorified in those circumstances? Would you help them to see that you are the hope for them? And that believing the gospel in their circumstance is joy. Genuine happiness. Not in a circumstance that's going to fail them at some point, but in you who is unfailing. God, for the marriages here, I pray that husbands would rise up and be what you have commanded them to be in their marriages. That they would seek to display Christ in their marriage, no matter what their wife does or doesn't do. That they would bear the sins of their wife. That they would love their wives as you have loved the church and laid down your life, died, Lord, died for us. Would they serve and love and lead God as spiritual leaders in the home? I pray for that, Lord. I pray that if there's any apathy or any any men who are sitting here just waiting for their wives to be what you have called them to be, God, that you would rebuke their hearts and convict them of their sin and cause them, help them to repent and be the men that you have demanded them to be, Lord. May you be glorified in them. And Father, for the wives, I pray for them that you would help them, no matter what their circumstances, that their joy and their gladness would be in displaying and glorifying you the great covenant keeper. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.